Spirit, we recognize your presence in this place. How can we deny it? Holy Spirit, your movement among us. In the blessing of children, in the waters of baptism, in heartfelt worship, we yield ourselves to you. And Lord, I pray that my work in your word today might be a continuation of your spirit's movement. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, this morning we finish our sermon series that we've been in for the last month in the book of Acts, looking at the earliest versions of Christians gathered together. This series has been called Elemental. So just as we can sort of boil down the created world around us into basic elements, uh, and, and, and strip them down to their most basic elements, we can do the same, actually, for the way in which we live out and practice our faith. So I think what happens is we end up picking up a lot of practices throughout this Christian life that are not essential. Maybe they're only for a season of life. Maybe some of them aren't even very helpful moving forward. So it's good for us to go back to these basic elemental practices of the Christian faith, practices that have been present From the very beginning, the Christians that we read about in the book of Acts, the earliest version of the church, and every collection of Christians that have gathered like we're doing here ever since. So we've already discussed three of these elemental practices, which is being in scripture, prayer, and worship. And today we're going to touch on our last practice, which is the practice of loving others. Loving others. Um, this was a little bit of a tough sermon for me to write this, this week. I just returned from uh, eight days in India on Tuesday evening. Um, jet lag really wasn't too bad, but uh, I was a little late in getting my sermon started this week. Uh, I had a lot of things to attend to here at church and certainly with my family, catching up with them. So I really didn't start writing until Thursday, which is incredibly late for me to begin writing. Um, and by Thursday afternoon, I had written basically nothing, and I got a call from Kasia in the office up to my office saying, hey, there's someone here in the garden court, and um, they're seeking some assistance, which is something that we do fairly frequently here. And um, I came down, and I found a kind, uh, smiling woman who had been here a few times previously, um, and she was seeking uh, some assistance from church. Uh, she was requesting a gas card, which is something that we do. So... Um, I'm busy, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, get things done, so I get a quick sort of update on her life, I, I run in, I go give her a gas card, and I ask, hey, how can I pray for you, and I was thinking, how can I pray sort of quickly so I can get back to work, and she said, well, actually, thank you so much, can I actually share something with you, and when somebody says it like that, you have to say yes, right, so I said yes, and she went out to her car, and she grabbed a notebook, a big, thick, thick notebook, and she came back in and, and sat with me, and she opened up her notebook and began to share, and it was full of business ideas, that she has for new businesses that she began to share with me. Um, Wild ideas about how we can get personal robots for every human being on earth and human QR codes that are embedded in chips for medical records and then her genius idea of of a windshield in the car that had voice-activated tinting capabilities. And I'm sitting and I'm listening to the ideas. I can't tell if these ideas are brilliant or they completely completely crazy, I don't know, but I know that it took about 35 or 45 minutes for her to explain all of these awesome ideas. And I sat and I listened to her without interrupting, I guess because I'm a nice person, but inside I was going crazy. 
You know that feeling. I was going crazy. I know God is calling me to love this person in front of me, but doesn't she know that I have a job, that I have so much work to do today? And then finally, after explaining her last invention, she said, would you please pray for me? I have lots of ideas, as you can tell, and I try and share them with people, but most people just laugh at me or they refuse to listen or they cut me off. But you listen to my ideas, and I can't remember the last time that someone actually listened to me and didn't make me feel totally worthless. And then she said something that blew me away. She said, thank you for being okay with the fact that God has me under construction. Uh, So I prayed for her. And during my prayers, I silently confessed my own sins and my impatience. And I blessed her, and we hugged, and I realized that God was softening my heart and humbling me and reminding me of the call to love others before I would dare to step up here and tell you to love others. So here is the principle this morning that we're going to begin with. It is a daily choice to love the people that God puts in front of you. It's a daily choice. No matter who they are, no matter how busy you are, we are called to love other people. Now, we talked about scripture reading and worship and prayer. Those are regular practices that we probably understand, disciplines that we go, yeah, I can discipline myself towards those things. But maybe you've never really thought of loving other people as a daily practice. That's not something that we often think of maybe as a discipline. But this is my challenge to you this morning from scripture Love other people as a daily practice. Put it into practice. Uh, In a culture in which love means everything and nothing at the same time, we actually have to discipline ourselves to practice love of other people. And I promise you that God is going to give you daily opportunities to practice this because he is constantly going to give you people in your life right in front of you to be loved, whether it's those who are closest to you, your family, parents, children, spouses, friends, neighbors, or maybe it's the stranger off the street that has a binder full of business ideas. And the early church actually models for us what it means to love as a daily discipline. So I want to look at our scripture reading for this morning. I'll invite you to stand as you're able. Um, This is coming from Acts chapter 2, verses 43 through 47. It's a it's a well-cited scripture on the sort of nature of the earliest Christians, hear God's word for us and be encouraged by it this morning. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as they had need. Day by day, they spent much time together in the temple They broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. You can be seated. I debated uh, trying to put into the rotation a, a, a hymn, a song that I grew up with in my church. Uh, 1966 by Peter Schultz. It's called We Are One in the Spirit, or as it's more popularly known, they will know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Do you know that one? Anybody know that one? 
I grew up with that one. I kind of thought it was sort of like a hokey 1960s uh, Jesus people sort of uh, uh, hymn. But actually, I was doing a little research on it this week. And the inspiration for that lyric, they will know we are Christians by our love, is actually an ancient one. It comes from a letter called the Apology of Aristides. It was written in 127 AD, this letter, where a man named Aristides, who's a, who's a, a Roman citizen, is writing to the emperor, and he's describing this movement called Christianity, these new, this new group of people called Christians. And he says this quote in the letter, Behold how they love one another. Behold how they love one another. He wrote at length about how these peculiar Christians conducted themselves and how deeply they loved and cared for other people. Um, They were peculiar not in a negative sense, not in a weird way, but in the genuineness and in the graciousness of the love of their community. Their sincerity was undeniable. I'm going to read a little bit of that letter later on, but when I read this passage from Acts 2, I can see these two letters coming together, Luke's letter called Acts and Aristides' letter, and I, I feel the genuineness and the sincerity of this community. I don't know if you felt that as I was reading scripture, but I understand why Aristides would say, behold, how they love one another. How they love one another. Let me point out a few things from this passage in Acts chapter 2 of how they love one another. These are pretty self-evident things, but it's worth just walking through them. First, it says they were together and had all things in common. Um, This is a choice, right? This didn't just happen organically that they would have all things in common. If you've lived in community of of any kind, you know that there has to be something that ties you together. And and I think to be this kind of community, there has to be a basis of love because it's really hard to be in proximity to people, even people that you know and you love. It's really hard to share things together. This is why reality shows continue to stuff strangers in houses together, right? Because they know that that's going to lead to uh, drama and conflict and, and crisis. Those things are bound to happen. But it takes a common love to be together and to have things in common. Then it says, they would sell their possessions and goods and distribute them amongst any, as, uh, to all as any has need. There's a beautiful selflessness in this. They had a, a common purse of some sort. They would, they would use it to feed and, and clothe and provide for one another. Um, this is not some dutiful form of socialism here. This is, this is really a, a selfless way of living and caring for, for everyone in the community. Again, I think there's no way that this works unless there's intentional love in the community that's binding these people together. Verse 46 says, They spent time together in the temple. They ate together. They had glad and generous hearts. It's almost sounding like a utopia, isn't it? Their worship was vibrant. Their tables were open. They were generous with one another. And maybe you're reading this and you're going, this feels a little too uh, insulated, a little too internal to me, like these believers got along great together. It would be sort of like if we as a church did a really good job of loving and caring for one another, but we never really let that touch the concerns that are outside of the walls of this church. But verse 47 and 48 tell us something different. Luke says that they had the goodwill of all the people. Another way to translate that is they had a good reputation amongst people who were outside of the community. And it says that day by day, the Lord was adding to their numbers those who were being saved. These people who were coming into the community, they were not responding to coercion. They were not responding to really well-crafted arguments, they were responding to the love that they saw exemplified in this community. 
Now, perhaps it's, it's possible to, to be intrigued by the, the love that people show to one another in community, but if, but if community itself is just the standard that we're going for, that's not sufficient to bring, bring people into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. What ultimately drew people into a saving relationship, a new relationship with Jesus, was the love of God. It was the love of God. And we see that in the beginning. Verse 43, it says that, that awe and wonder came over everyone because of the signs and the wonders of the apostles. These believers, they were captivated by the love of God through Jesus Christ and the power of that love that they saw around them. So they committed themselves to loving one another, and it was the love of God that drew outsiders into a saving faith and then into their community. So if we go back to to my meeting with my friend this week, I'm sitting, I'm listening to these wild ideas and, and another wild idea after another one, and I'm wondering, why am I sitting through this? Where is there a spot where I can go, you know, I really don't have time for this? But I sat through it. And it's not because I'm a nice guy. It's not because I'm super spiritual. I realized upon reflection that the reason I sat through that and I was able to sit through that and I was compelled to sit through that was because I have experienced the love of a God who has sat with me. And he bears with me. And he listens to my rambling, often incoherent ideas and thoughts, and he smiles and nods and is kind to me, even though they're dumb. And he meets my needs. And he loves me just as I am. I am not an expert on loving others. Sometimes I don't even feel like I'm very good at it. But let me tell you something about myself that I can tell you with great confidence today. I am someone who knows and has experienced the love of God and the grace of God and the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ in my life. And it has humbled me and it has motivated me. If God bears with me in love all the time every day, how can I not bear with someone for 45 minutes in love? It's ultimately the experience of the internalized love of God through Jesus Christ that allows us to love others so that they can know the love of God as well. Back to Aristides, our second century friend. He picks up on this reality of the love of God being the motivation for loving others and how Christians were operating out of that love. Um, I want to read a passage of this. It's, it's a little lengthy, so I know there's going to be a tendency after about 45 seconds for you to be like, okay, I get it. I'm going to zone out and think about what, what's happening the rest of the day. Please hang with me. I'll try and jolt you awake if I see you kind of falling asleep. But, but I, I only read this lengthy passage because it is such an incredible testimony. Again, this is a Roman citizen who's writing to the emperor to tell the emperor about who who these Christians are and, and describe them. He says this, But these Christians, O king, while they went about and made search, have found the truth. And as we learn from their writings, they've come nearer to the truth and genuine knowledge than the rest of all nations. For they know and trust in God, the creator of heaven and earth, in whom and from whom are all things, and to whom there is no other God as companion, from whom they receive commandments which they have engraved upon their minds and observe in hope and expectation of the world which is to come. They do not commit adultery nor fornication. They don't bear false witness. They don't embezzle what is held in pledge, nor do they covet what is not theirs. They honor their fathers and mothers. They show kindness to those who are near to them. 
They do not worship idols. And whatsoever that would not that others should do unto them, they do not do unto others. And their oppressors, well, they appease and make them their friends. They do good to their enemies. O king, their women are as pure as virgins, and their daughters are modest, and their men keep themselves from every unlawful union and from all uncleanliness. Further, if one of or the other of them have bondwomen or bondmen or children, through love towards them, they persuade them to follow Jesus. And when they have done so, they call them brethren without any distinction. They do not worship strange gods. They do not go their way. Instead, they go in their way in all modesty and cheerfulness. Falsehood is never found among them. And they love one another. And from widows, they don't turn away their esteem. And they deliver the orphans from those who treat them harshly. And he who has gives to the one who has not without boasting. When they see a stranger, they take them into their homes and they rejoice over them as a very brother. For they do not call them brethren after the flesh, but brethren after the spirit of God. Everybody awake? Listen to this testimony. I'm going to keep going. If they hear that one or the other is, one of their number is imprisoned or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to his necessity. And if it's possible to redeem him and set them free, they do so. And if there is among them any that is poor and needy, listen to this, this is incredible. If there's any of them that are poor and needy and they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply the needy their lack of food. They observe the precepts of their Messiah with much care, living justly and soberly as the Lord their God commanded them. Every morning and every hour they give thanks and praise to God for his loving kindness towards them, for their food and their drink, and they offer thanksgiving to him. And, O king, since they know the loving kindness of God toward them, behold, for their sake the glorious things which are in the world flow forth into view. Behold how they love each other. They do not proclaim in the ears of the multitude the kind deeds that they do, but are careful that no one should notice them, and they conceal their giving just as he who finds a treasure and conceals it. Verily, listen to this, verily, this is a new kind of people. There is something divine in the midst of them. What a testimony. I mean, if somebody would write even like a portion of that about us here today, what a gift that would be. I'm so moved by that. And yet, I'd be negligent to only marvel at these early Christians and how awesome they were without doing some self-examination for us here today. So as we consider these Christians and how they loved one another so well and loved the world around them, which was incredibly hostile to the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the way, their example should have an impact on our hearts and our lives today. So uh, I want to just close my sermon by doing a little self-examination this morning. Three questions that everybody here needs to ask. First, Do you know and experience the love of God through Jesus in your life? Do you know it? Maybe you're someone here who sits today and you're like, man, I just have a really tough time loving anyone around me, right? I have a tough time loving others. Well, this is what you need to return to. This is what you need to return to, the God who loves us and bears with us and pursues us and forgives us and provides for us and cares for us. Friend, here at Fresh this morning, there are never going to be more important words from this pulpit on any Sunday than this. God loves you so much. He loves you so much. 
that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live as a human in order to identify with you so that you as a human can identify with him as the son of God. And he died as the penalty for sin. And all of the motivation of God doing that is just because he loves you that much. As John says in his wonderful epistle, this is the definition of love. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us and that he gave himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The source of any true sustaining and transforming love in our lives is the love of God himself. That's the source. So if we don't experience his love, we're not really going to be able to pass on true love to others. Second question of self-examination today. Are you invested in Christian community? You're here today. That is fantastic. What a great start. It's clear from the book of Acts and, and the letter of Aristides that the earliest Christians saw fellowship like what we're doing here today as a lifeline. It was a deep well from which to draw so that they could continue to be reminded of the love of God. It's what kept them in the love of God and nourished a, a life of loving others. This is why it states repeatedly that they were together as believers. They shared life and resources together. By the way, that's why I'm a part of this church. It's not because I happen to have a job here. I am here because I need all of you. I choose to need all of you. You remind me constantly of God's love and grace and goodness. And you spur me on to live it out in all places and at all times. So please, please resist the urge to make this just a place that you come to. Make this a people that you share life with and you open up to and you rely on and you really do life with. Because when we do that, we keep each other firmly in the love of Jesus. Third question for self-examination is, are you practicing love to others at every opportunity that God gives you? If we're aware of God's love towards us in Jesus and we're celebrating and amplifying that in community, then the natural outcome of that kind of life is that we're going to have love left over in our hearts. There's going to be an overflow of love, and and the people that God puts us in our path are going to become objects of that love. But we have to practice it. We have to be intentional about it. Everyone that you meet is loved by God, is worthy of care, is worthy of of attention, and, and you get to be part of their story today and tomorrow and every day. Every waitress every clerk, every neighbor, every coworker and colleague and beggar and custodian and commuter and classmate and stranger, every single one of them are an opportunity to extend the love of God that you have in your heart. So set your mind and your heart on loving each and every one of them. That might seem like a fairly simple message this morning, go out and love people, but it's really a challenge for me, particularly this week, as I said, um, I just returned from India. Peter uh, was with me as well. Doug was here earlier this morning. He was there, and then Yogi uh, is still in India. He'll come back this week. But um, I was so convicted getting to watch our ministry partners over there at our sister denomination in Hindustani Covenant Church and see our brothers and sisters over there in the ministry that they're doing. Um, if I can just give you a little sense of this, I, on the last day that we were there, we were invited into a staff meeting, which was kind of sort of a broad meeting and a in a boardroom of, of administrators and pastors. Some of these pastors had traveled 100 kilometers uh, to come to this staff meeting, and I assumed it would sort of look like our staff meetings at church. I mean, how different could they be? This is a video um, of, of the staff meeting. 
extensive worship, ecstatic prayer, testimonies, sharing of God's goodness, very little uh, notes being taken or, or brainstorming. It was just celebrating the goodness of God. And they asked me after the end of this worship and these prayers, they said, would you give a devotional? And I I stood up and I shared from Philippians chapter 1 and Paul's words that we thank God every time that we remember you because of your share in the gospel of Jesus Christ, your work of the gospel here in India. And, and I shared with them after a week of observing and watching the way that they do ministry that they are truly my heroes. And they are. Those are superheroes, some of the stories of these ministers. Because they are able to do something that I think we struggle with so very much in the American church um, what they're able to do is they are able to love and care for others with, with fervency and a vigorous social concern while never, ever losing sight of the fact that it is the saving love of Jesus that allows them to love in the first place. They hold those things together so well. We suffer in America from, from so many uh, churches and institutions and Christians who, who are doing really amazing things in loving others, but they shy away from the name of Jesus. Or... They, they, they cherish the name of Jesus and the goodness of God, and they, insula- they allow that to somehow insulate them from the needs around them. But not our friends in India. Uh, throughout the week, I just, in my notebook, I was jotting down all the ministries that Hindustani Covenant supports, all the love that they're doing. I just want you to listen to this list of, uh, of ministries that are happening. Um, and this is not extensive. Microfinance loans. Ministry to children who pick garbage. Some of them are as young as seven years old. Ministry to prostitutes. Rescuing girls from human trafficking, some of whom are are working and are as young as 10 years old. Alcohol rehabilitation. Um, Sewing training. Uh, Animal husbandry ministry. Water ministry and water harvesting. Farming ministries. Exorcism ministries. Ministries to transgender neighbors who are marginalized. Healing ministries. Free professional counseling in villages that can never, ever afford to have a professional counselor do uh, trauma-informed counseling. Every form of education that you could possibly imagine, from the youngest to the oldest. Prayer meetings in house churches. Giving dry rations to the hungry. And many, many, many more ministries. That's an amazing list. Um, And we're going to talk a ton more about India in the weeks to come. We're actually planning on an India Sunday in November to hear more about this ministry and where God is calling us to partner with further uh, with them. So stay tuned on that. But even more amazing to go through that list is the fact that they do all of these acts of love, which are such tangible acts of love without ever losing sight of God's love for them. Their worship and their prayers are every bit as heartfelt as their mission and their strategy. Can't wait to share more with you. Uh, it is going to bless us as a church so much um, to hear more about their ministry, and, and it's going to increase and motivate our love for other people. So these are our four elemental practices, scripture, prayer, worship, loving others. They're practices that we need to come back to over and over and over again on a daily basis in our lives. And in all of these practices, the earliest Christians actually serve as a guide and a model for us. They did it so well. And my hope is that it could be said of followers of Christ today in the exact same way, behold how they love one another. Behold how they worship with fervor. 
Behold how they pray in faith. Behold how they live out the truth of Scripture. So as we go back to these elements again and again, I pray that we might also have the goodwill of all people, a good reputation, and that through the love of God in our community, we might add to those numbers people who are being saved by Jesus. May it be so for us. Throughout this series, we've offered a response uh, after the sermon, and today I want to do a response that we're somewhat used to. You may have noticed that we skipped over something that we normally do in a service, and that was our time of greeting. Actually, throughout the history of the church, our greeting is, uh, is part and parcel with our worship. It was time called passing the peace, an opportunity to be reminded of the peace of Christ being passed from one to another. So as a response today, I'm going to invite you to pass the peace of one another. I'll invite you to stand. You can travel a little bit. You don't have to stay in your area, but the people around you, uh, shake a hand if you know, and, and, and uh, people, and it's appropriate, give a hug. And I'll encourage you to look at one another and remind each other that God loves you. God loves you. As you pass the peace of Christ, just say, God loves you. And let that reminder of God's love fill you in such a way that it motivates your love of others. In a few minutes, the band will start playing, and that'll be your signal to come on back and sing our closing worship together. Let's stand and pass the peace of Jesus Christ. <laughs>